over a decade of experience in video games, and all he has to show for it is this stupid podcast. It's Behind the Line Radio, with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, a podcast about the making of video games, the business of video games, and the people of the video games industry. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick, joined as always by my co-host, Baron Fang. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm excellent, how are you? Uh, I'm better than I was last weekend. Oh boy. <laughs> So, Busy? <laughs> it, well, uh, um, one of the reasons we haven't had uh, an episode go up in, in a while is that last weekend I was not in any position to be able to record because I was out to see the solar eclipse. Mm. And that was one hell of an adventure. <laughs> uh, that was, if you just look at it on the map, everything made sense, you know. We uh, we drove up to Northern California as kind of a staging ground because from there you can uh, the the freeways kind of branch out in different directions so you could react if weather went bad because you know what's the point in seeing it if it's just going to be all overcast and you can't see anything that would mm. suck so we got up there and we're like okay okay we're gonna go to this spot in Northern Central Oregon. Uh, like Madras, or I think they pronounce it differently. I didn't really stick around and talk to people, but we went up there. And oddly enough, the traffic on the way in wasn't that bad. I would have expected it to be horrendous. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy. We actually were even able to find a a parking spot in a parking lot in a strip mall with like uh, uh, the groceries market and uh burger king and whatnot just like just parked right in front of the burger king but there was a whole bunch of people at different like pulling off to the shoulders and stuff on the freeways on the way in but nothing was ever really too bad hmm. uh and then the eclipse happened we were just out there looking up and man pictures do not do an eclipse justice yeah I mean, you you can have you can have an awareness of what it's supposed to be like but when you, you when it hits totality and you look up and the sun is now black and keep in mind that the sun is so bright that even even under all but totality, that tiny little piece that's still exposed to you is yeah. blinding, completely yeah. blinding. So yeah. it, if you don't have uh, the special glasses or eye protection to be able to look up at it, uh, you won't see it as a crescent. Or it's like overcast so you can look directly at the sun. You won't see the sun as a crescent. Yeah. It'll just be there, and then it's a black, just this, yeah. this circle of black. So you can forgive people uh, who wouldn't know what an eclipse is or wouldn't know one was coming for thinking that the world was ending. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty it, remarkable. It, it's eerie. It's it's spooky. And and the one of the other funny things is, you know, obviously it's going to get darker, but it's not, like, super dark. Mm. I mean, if it were storming outside, it would be darker. But even then, like, the sun has to get through the clouds, and it kind of changes the hue of the light. Mm. So when things are getting dim under an eclipse, you look around, it's a bit more like watching an old movie with a really terrible day for night filter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Did, so, the temp did the temperature come down noticeably as well? I hear that's uh, pretty often the case that you it's not cold per, per se, but it you definitely notice it get cooler rapidly. Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, it did. Um, hmm. 
And that kind of makes sense considering just how much, you know, the temperature is affected by how much sunlight you're directly getting at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's not just pounding down on the pavement under you, pounding down on your skin as much. Yeah. And interestingly enough, you'd, you'd think that this would have been really annoying. I mean, there were some people there like doing, you know, woo, it's about to be an eclipse kind of a thing. It's like, yeah, just be quiet. Let me enjoy this. But someone uh, had the foresight to um, queue up and play a measure of also Sprach Zarathustra. Or the 2001 yeah. theme? Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't from the very beginning, so it wasn't the... the dun, dun. Yeah. It was it was uh, later on, and it was it was actually very, very fitting for the moment. Mm-hmm. So, a, a great accompaniment, and I, I kind of appreciated that, but, like, when, when it was happening, like, I'm not... I'm, I'm pretty low-key. I don't usually get giddy. I was, I was giddy for that. <laughs> well, I'm and, glad it was worth the drive. Yeah, and the, and the missus actually uh, wept a little. So, I mean, it, it's it's one of those, like, we are able to see something cosmic happening. That doesn't happen a whole lot. And for me, that was a bucket list item. Yeah. So it was good to get that kind of knocked out. Because for me, like, I suppose three bucket list items would be uh, trying to be a pro wrestler, which I've done a little bit, and I know that I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, seeing an eclipse and seeing the Northern Lights. Mm. So I still got to see the Northern Lights. Yeah. Not that I'm interested in checking out anytime soon, but it's nice to be uh pretty well ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> um, well, that one should be relatively easy. Uh, well, I don't know if you go far enough north <clears throat> at the right time of year. Oh yeah, that's that's more. You just get there and wait, as yeah. opposed to this is the one that's going to happen in the next seven years or something. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but then we started to leave. Oh, actually, one other thing is, is it, it's true that when, when it's eclipsed, you look around and it's a bit like, uh, dusk on all horizons. Mm. <laughs> you get that kind of purplish hue. Yeah. Shift in the color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we got onto the way out and here's where the logic failed is because when it, people were coming in, they were not all coming in at the same time. <laughs> yeah. When when we left, we were all leaving at the same time. Yeah. Like, it was an hour before we were able to get out of this little town. I imagine this is a story that was playing itself out right across the path of totality, across the entire continental U.S. Yes, yes, quite probably, because there was that image of the uh, traffic jams in the path of totality. <laughs> all the way to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, here, here was the other thing. I figured, like, okay, it's going to be rough until we get out of the town, but then everyone's going to be going in different directions, and it's going to start to disperse, right? Yeah. Nope, that didn't happen either, because here's the other thing I didn't take into account is that the the place that we went to in Oregon, the travel infrastructure uh, was not exactly high bandwidth. Yeah. So pretty much everyone was still all in the same it was pretty much one road through the bulk of Oregon <laughs> that for uh, most of the most of that time was two lanes. Yeah. So all of this traffic, millions of people trying to condense themselves down into one lane. Uh it was oh, it was dear. pretty rough. There was a point where I think over three hours we might have gone like five miles. 
uh, yeah. Um, I was that was that was pretty rough because it, at, the plan that we had with was you know okay we'll we'll get up most of the way the previous day the the totality is going to be pretty early in the morning so we'll wake up really early and and go the rest of the way watch it and then it's still going to be fairly early in the morning so if we you know Iron Man it we can just drive the rest of the way home on Monday you know numerically it seemed to check out. And then traffic happened, and, you know, the the fallback plan was to see if we could get back to the hotel we spent the night at, and we weren't even able to make it out of Oregon. <laughs> like, we, we wound up having to, to pull to the side and, and, and sleep in the car. It was it was nuts. But, I mean, we weren't alone with that. We, you know, slept for a few hours and then got back on the road, and you can see there was a whole bunch of people who just gave up and parked in the shoulder of the highway to sleep. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of people who did that. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it was rough. I actually did the math, and I think it was some, somewhere on the order of out of a 47-hour period, we, we were in the car for like 39 hours. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oregon just, I mean, in my head, Oregon's just not that far from where you... <laughs> You had to come from, but uh, no. Nah, well, yeah. I mean, we we went. It, it was about five hundred miles away. Yeah. Still, that doesn't map to three thirty nine hours in my head, but no, the way you should, described it. It. <laughs> it should it should map to more around eighteen. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that you know what was that about twelve hours in horrible traffic and then sleeping? Yeah. Fortunately, man. The other thing is there were it was actually. This this reminded me of the Pokemon Go fest because so many people were leaving. Uh, yeah. Don't don't get too rough on Niantic for the uh, cell service going down because <laughs> Google Google couldn't handle this either. Yeah, like there were so many people. There were so many people that when we were connected to Google Maps, uh, it was giving us bogus traffic information. <laughs> like like it, it wasn't able to calculate everybody. Because not yeah. everybody was able to get through, so really the infrastructure failed Google because like the cell towers weren't they, they they were just clearly overwhelmed with data. Yeah. Because <laughs> because remember remember there's only so much spectrum to go around. There's only so much information you can cram in. Yeah. To transmitted uh, uh, channels like that. Yeah. Oh, but eventually we got home. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, that that was that was an adventure, and we were very happy to be outside of of the car finally. <laughs> I'll bet. Uh, were you able to see any of the eclipse from where you are, or did you even look? It's a partial where I was in southwestern Ontario, so uh, we're talking like mid sixty percent, sort of like sixty percent ish. So this is you know w- when it's about sixty, and I, I've been in a partial before, it just looks. Um, it just looks darker, but in an eerie sort of way mm-hmm. that if, if you weren't paying attention or you were in a tinted glass car, you might not notice it. But walking around, if you had been outside a few minutes earlier, you would have been like, Oh, it's, it's darker and yet it's not cloudy. How is that possible? Yeah. But, uh, because we didn't have any equipment, uh, basically we resorted to, uh, somebody had made a cereal box into a, um, a makeshift, uh, pinhole. Yeah, viewing thing, and it, it actually worked pretty well. I mean, it mm-hmm. was only a very 
tiny little crescent that we were able to look at, but you know we were were able to look at it over the course of that forty minutes or whatever and and see it change. Yeah, um, yeah I, I if I if I'd planned better, I would have gone to the the university in town and they had a viewing party where they were giving away like five thousand pairs of um, of glasses. That would have been something, but um, yeah. To the extent that I was able to see it at all in the middle of a workday, it, uh, yeah, memorable, uh-huh. if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. That uh, you know, talking about the eerie lighting, it's like, yeah, that's that's what it's like at totality too, just kind of more so. Yeah. I remember as a kid, uh, we weren't even allowed outside during a couple of partial eclipses. <clears throat> so it. Um, Why? I don't know. I guess they figured we'd be stupid and try and look at it or something, and they just wanted to avoid any. Uh, <laughs> liability issues, which is weird because I've heard other stories of kids actually being encouraged to, you know, go out and experience it and given glasses and stuff as well. Yeah. So I mean, because it's not like you can give everybody the glasses. It's not like they're expensive or anything. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. I saw someone saying, now. <laughs> "Yeah, well, you know, I saw someone saying, hey, you know, it's going to be really inexpensive <laughs> now. Sun, the, the, the sun watching glasses or eclipse watching glasses. I'm like, they're they're cheap normally. <laughs> I mean." They they might have gotten a little expensive in the week or two leading up to the eclipse, but I mean, yeah. we we wanted to get some, and we pretty much just got a like a ten pack for fifteen bucks. Mm. Okay, whatever. <laughs> they're yeah, they're not. Although one guy who was uh, looking at the eclipse where we were had a a, a welder's helmet. <laughs> 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 Which is also a perfectly valid way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. I do. I, je- I definitely do find that really weird. Like, kids, don't go out and look at this amazing cosmic event that will enrich your lives for having seen it. Yeah, to each his own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Boy, so that's where I was. <laughs> um, but getting on to the more, I don't know, prescient or thematically appropriate elements for the show. Mm. Um, one thing that, that kind of struck me that I saw over the past couple weeks, apparently uh, Polygon put out an article which was an excerpt of someone's book, and the, yeah. and the Polygon article is labeled Why I Worship Crunch. Mm. And let me see here. Who is it? Where is his name? Oh, what, the, the author? What, yeah. Walt Williams. Walt Williams. Okay, thank well, you. I'm not who I'm not familiar with. I don't know if you no, are. No, not really. I just I, I read this thing, and actually the first thing I saw about this was people complaining that Polygon was putting up this thing about Crunch, and I, so the why don't I just kind of go into some of the points of the uh, article itself? So this is an excerpt from a book from mm-hmm. this uh, from this guy, uh, and it's all talking about Crunch. And he goes into, he says stuff like, all hail crunch, it's like in a fight, if you win, it's awesome, if you lose, you're a martyr, you get this constantly during crunch, and he says stuff like, it's only crunch if you don't want to do it, um, we only care about crunch when it doesn't work, some of us actually like it, and and, and so forth. Mm. And so, a whole bunch of people, unsurprisingly, uh, started chewing into to Polygon for posting this about trying to glorify crunch and, and unhealthy and unfair business practices. Because, um, you know, I mean, it's it's been a thing in the industry for a while of the kind of destructive 
nature of a lot of crunch work and how it can cause all, you know, all kinds of problems for teams, for health, for the project itself. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there's a if if you follow some links, you wind up at a Game of Sutra article called uh, uh, what was this? Game Outcomes Project Part Four: Crunch Makes Games Worse. Hmm. Big surprise. I, yeah, I think I think I might have written about this one in in uh, a behind the line article in the past because it has all these. This uh, Game of Sutra article about crunch has all these charts about you know. Here are all these projects. The more crunch they do, here's you know the lower Metacritic scores or the happiness of the employees, and so it pretty much like the more crunch you have, these factors all go down, mm. um, like almost across the board. I think. Yeah, but, I do. I do remember you touching on that. Yeah. So yeah, you you hit a topic like this in anything that that carries along with it an air of condoning or even encouraging these practices, you're going to get a lot of the community uh, uh, just yelling at you. Which, when you read the whole thing, I think is slightly unfair. Mm. Slightly, I, well, it, it's unfair in the sense that I think people's criticisms are not looking at the correct thing. Because um, even in this excerpt, there's a lot of stuff that shows that the author feels that th- these practices are unhealthy. Yeah. You know, he refers to it kind of as an addiction, and he talks about how he was, um, you know, holding the hand of his father as he died, and then he went into the office and wrote a, uh, a, a treatment for a game feature or something like that. He'd like uh, editing script. Oh, here it is. Um I work too much. I've edited scripts in ICU rooms, responded to emails while begging lovers not to walk out the door, spent, uh, sent brainstorming lists during the birth of my child. I held my grandfather's hand while he passed away, then went into his office and wrote text for mission descriptions. None of this was expected of me, and no one would have dared ask. I did all these things for me. Mm. You know, he's po- In this excerpt from the book, he's pointing out that these are self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. Um... So if you read through all that, there's definitely a thing there. He also points out that, um, where was it? In the section here, we only complain about crunch. When it doesn't work, he points out, um, where is it here? Uh, like the hypocrisy of the audience. In this one, the we only care about crunch when it doesn't work. The we is the, the game buying audience, not the developers. So I actually <clears throat> think there's some sloppy writing there where his frame of reference shifts and he doesn't explain it. Um, Pointing out, like, you'll only pay 60 bucks and not a dollar more for a thing because the uh, you lack the ability to measure the value of digital goods either through cost or effort. If we try to sell you $5 downloadable content, you'll attack us with negative reviews, claiming we're trying to nickel and dime you. But if we package our game with a plastic figure and book of concept art, you'll shell out an easy hundred because it's, quote, limited, unquote. It's the same mentality that allows you to say crunch is plaguing our industry while shouting masterpiece at games that laid waste to the hearts and minds of their developers. You're a bunch of fucking hypocrites, but it's okay, so are we. We happy to crunch when we believe it will pay off for us individually. There's a reason studio owners, creative directors, and people who drive Lamborghinis never complain about working too hard. It's only when the payout is less than the wager that we get pissy. You know, <clears throat> And that kind of speaks to some of the semi-predatory nature of working in the in the games industry because you know 
this is an industry where if you're going to work in in enterprise software, you, you'd make more money. But we do it because we like the medium and we want to like what we're working on. Right. And, right. and if that mentality starts to go a little overboard, employers start taking advantage of you. Mm-hmm. Um, intentionally or not, but the audience does sort of feed into that too. You know, it incentivizes some of that treatment. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what he or anyone is thinking that the audience is supposed to do, though. Like, not buy games from companies that have bad reputations. I, I, I is that is that what we're supposed to do? Or are we supposed to open ourselves up to the possibility of paying more? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm hearing a lot of like invective, <laughs> and, and not and not a lot of like, well, what could be could be done. Uh, I mean, perhaps, perhaps uh, I don't know. This is a crazy idea. Maybe existing employment laws should just be enforced. Okay, uh, <laughs> maybe. So, <laughs> there's actually a few things to unpack with that simple observation. Uh, so, existing employment laws. Believe it or not, we do. Uh, the uh, video games industry does follow employment laws. The problem is that the video games industry falls under uh, entertainment which has some special provisions for, you know, overtime work. Mm. Um, but, you know, also saying there's, uh, 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 what do you expect the game-buying public to do? Well, one thing you could do is, even without uh, changing the uh, buying habits, mm. change the discussion. Uh, and that, that, that should be pretty free, but because he's saying, you know, sh- you mentioned shouting masterpiece at games that, that hurt people. It's like, okay, we can appreciate the product and then turn around and, and say to the developers, please never do that to yourselves again. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, the whole, for example, um, freaking McNamara and Team Bondi who made LA Noir. Okay. Yeah. Everyone can like LA Noir all they like. We do not have to put, McNamara up on a pedestal for the horrible things he did to his team. We can yeah. turn around to the team and say, thank you for your sacrifice. I'm sorry you had to work for such a jackass. Yeah. You know? uh, I, I, I wonder, though, um, you're speaking from somebody who has a lot of industry knowledge. How much of this is very inside baseball for the average game buyer, though? Like, I, I only hear about the bad actors when they're particularly bad. I guess that's not surprising, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're, it's, it's the squeakiest wheel that's going to get the attention. I, I don't know. I mean, it, is, do we need some sort of a industry town crier that can, because, because I, I do, I do agree. Perhaps we do need to know more about this. I'm just wondering how the average person finds out about who needs to be criticized and, and who doesn't. Like I, I heard rumors about, uh, uh, CD Projekt, apparently, um, for all their great reputation, apparently they they even have have done some pretty, um, you know, they, they've pushed the crunch culture a fair bit themselves. But you know, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not necessarily seeing any one source or reliable source I could I could go to as a gaming enthusiast to, to actually find out who who to heap scorn on and who not to. <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be a bit of a collaborative effort that would be needed. Because mm. uh, it's it's not like these things haven't happened in the past and haven't led to good results. I mean, there was mm. the whole EA spouse thing back in the day. I mean, that's yeah. certainly, that certainly shined a 
big old spotlight on the issue at EA, and they've yeah. changed a bunch of their practices since then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I it's you know I when I think about the wider things that you know your your big three jerk off publishers, <laughs> which at, which at this stage I think probably I'd still say, I'd say EA, Ubisoft, and um, and increasingly Warner Brothers. There's there's probably ten things on the list that I would criticize them for before I remembered to get to how they treat their employees, <laughs> and it's not because I'm heartless. It's just the weight of criticism and the amount of criticism usually hits those top ten things first. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe the maybe the discussion just does need to change. Uh, I just I don't know how it happens without that spotlight getting shined brighter i guess yeah. and, ha- and how and that's, that's going to happen i don't know well the in the games industry itself is trying to do some stuff to uh tackle some of this too because mm-hmm. that's a that's a fairly common topic to come up here or there at gdc yeah so i would say that the industry itself needs to point out particularly bad examples mm-hmm. and then the community needs to come in and say no you shouldn't do that yeah. I think that's probably the best way to do it. At least as far as what I can figure at the moment. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm hardly a master of, you know, wrangling the public. So Yeah, I mean, when I think when, when I think about the um the next closest analog in terms of the consumer, I I think and examples that have come up in the past. So what what's the classic one? The 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 trendy sneaker company and the child labor and Southeast Asia or something that I have to assume on some level that sort of the stink of that hurt sales just from people being, you know, more morally uh, moved not to purchase their products until they came around and, and actually did something about it. I don't know that I can look at my fellow gamers and, and expect that sort of reaction to come without time and an effort, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think, I think we, we like our games first and foremost. And, you know, we're, it's very easy for us to get angry and shitty at publishers and devs for the, the stuff that they do that deserves scorn. But yeah, like I said, like I said, with my, me and my top 10, there's just so many other things to criticize them for. I wonder what, to, what is it going to take to get this moved up the list? You know, what, what horror stories? I, I mean, if it, if it's going to take an expose or something like that, I don't know if that's exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably going to have to be exactly the opposite to what this excerpt from yeah. this book was. <laughs> you know, like th- yeah, fair enough. This guy was talking about his personal experience with it. Maybe what we need is 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 someone who takes it from a different side. You know, my story of how my life was almost destroyed by by crunch. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the funny things, and that's that's. One of the other problems I have with this piece mm. is some of it sounds like, yeah, he is talking about how his life was almost destroyed by crunch, which makes me think that uh, either, because I haven't read the whole book, obviously, uh, but one possibility is that it wasn't written that well to be able to convey the uh, intended message. Yes, I, I've heard a couple of people say that this excerpt is not a very good representation of the book as a whole. Yeah, and that's, that was the other piece is what was this portion selected wisely? Yeah, and, and if that's the case, I put that squarely on Polygon, who, you know, of course they would want it to be controversial and clickbaity because that's the sort of 
game they play. Um, but yeah, we could be we could be having a very different conversation about this right now about someone making a uh, um, a useful condemnation <laughs> of crunch and a, and a less vague, I, I guess. Yeah, and that's the less problem vague here. Condemnation. Yeah, that's the problem is that I I actually read this as a condemnation, but a whole bunch of people read it as supporting crunch, mm. and that's why I don't think that it was written well, and I don't think it was a well selected excerpt. Yeah, yeah. If the if the idea was to shine a light, so to speak, this perhaps wasn't the best way. <laughs> Best way to go about doing it. Yeah. So when it comes to the community, you know, rejecting uh, the idea of developers, because there has been a lot of condemnation of this on the sense of the the perception that this is condoning or encouraging crunch, and that's yeah, and that's good. That like that type of reaction is what I'm talking about for you know the 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 community, you know, both developers and players uh, to try to push back on bad practices without necessarily even changing your buying practices. Okay. Yeah. So that, that much is fine. Yeah. Uh, hmm. But um, I suppose it isn't possible to leave, to believe that it could get to a point where individual gamers or gr- groups of gamers might be more predisposed to make their decisions or non-purchase decisions based on this stuff. I just think it would take a while. I mean, when I think about myself, there's devs and uh, individual individual devs as a, in, in addition to just developers generally that I just won't purchase from. Hmm. Um, I haven't uh, I haven't purchased an EA game in years and uh, and for and you know and and not because of any specific like oh they treat their employee bad employees badly, but I suppose if it got to the point where you know there was good information out there that set one developer on one negative end of the scale and another on the positive end of the scale and that was well known and you could trust the information that yeah maybe maybe that would influence people one way or the other i mean i i i hear about people personally blacklisting developers and and publishers for a lot less than this for for sometimes things that seem pretty uh, petty almost and i'll include i'll throw myself into that category as well i mean there's there's gaming companies i won't buy shit for for slights that are relatively minor this seems like something that's a bit more serious but yeah how do you uh how do you get people there uh i, I don't know it's yeah. uh I, i'd certainly like to read more and see more articles about it that are less uh um i don't know i, I keep going back to the word vague but more more di- more unambiguously anti-crunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe yeah. some bi- maybe some big names. Maybe it's going to take some big names talking about it. Mm. You know, um, well, like like a, an actual industry leader personality, like a, a Miyamoto. Yeah, or something like yeah, that's a terrible idea. You shouldn't do that. Or, yeah, yeah, and I I don't know whether why it I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. To be honest, I mean, there's enough of them that have sort of gone out on their own, you know, uh, and started their own small to mid-sized devs that, you know, I have to assume aren't under NDAs anymore and and have the sort of clout that they can talk shit and not <laughs> completely yeah. burn every bridge they have. I, I I do wonder at what point is one of them going to finally stand up and say, say something to that effect. Like, you know, there's a lot of... And not out- just say something, but say something loudly. Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of outspoken devs out 
there. It's just that a lot of the outspoken devs are the sort of guys that are outspoken and in, in, in such a way that the message might be lost. Like if, an, for example, if Notch came out and 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 uh, criticized um, crunch culture, well, there's a lot of people that just don't like him for some of his other views and yeah. <laughs> the, the the very the positive things that he might and helpful things that he might have to say on that might get lost because of the messenger. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it has to be the that's right a, person to say it. <laughs> yeah, because you know it's a little bit like your personality as a product is something that's important that you need to maintain, and that's maybe something that you know. I mean, we have talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I we we should probably just revisit that topic again because it keeps coming up, man. It does <laughs> yeah. Ah oh, man, I. I just shot myself in the foot there, didn't I? That people just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could probably end up talking doing a doing one on Crunch at some point too in its entirety if we, yeah. if we really wanted to, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I I know plenty of people who have gone through it, but yeah, that that would definitely be something that would help out with good the conversation. To, just to good have one to get a good and, guest on too as well. <laughs> the, the right guest. I don't know if we'd have to modulate their voice or something to. <laughs> so oh, that they mean, could work. You, you mean to start? You mean to start actually like you know going into specifics? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I I can tell you myself. I've been in places where you know people did not go home. They slept under their desks and showered in the gym. You know, it's there's some crazy stuff that I've seen, and I'm glad that I don't do it anymore. Uh, I mean, yeah. once you get through it. I'm not going to lie. I understand what this guy's talking about with, you know, how Crunch gives you kind of a high and he talks about how, uh, um, you know, if it slows down, then he has to think about what he's doing. But if everything keeps going, he can just stay laser focused on on task yeah. and whatnot. It's like, OK, I get that. I've actually been there. Yeah. I don't want to go back. Yeah. You know, I it, to a certain extent, I'm glad that I went through it and I'm glad I experienced it because, you know. It's an experience, and it's interesting. It has, fun. but that's not what you you should expect, man. No, no. Just just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that should be your standard operating procedure. Which in turn is what I read his point as actually being, because yeah. he's kind of gotten psychologically uh, addicted or affixed on this particular pattern of behavior and work, and recognizing that there are destructive aspects of it for his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but again, that's why so many people turn around and and you know are kind of laying into him and Polygon and saying this is terrible. Why would Polygon publish this and and uh, uh, condone this kind of business and and mm-hmm. so forth? Um, and then there's people who also say stuff like, where was it? Um, you know, kind of misunderstanding what what's how overtime and crunch time works in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some people also say, cause there's this, uh, comment here talking about, uh, it being unpaid work. Um, one that applies to, uh, salaried employees because in the entertainment industry, you don't have to be compensated for extra work time. Yeah. If you're salary. Because, you know, if you think about it, in movies, regular overtime rules don't exactly apply. You've been paid a contracted rate yeah. to do this work on this film or something. Yeah, sometimes you're going to have to come in there and sit in the makeup chair at, at four in the morning and you're in makeup for six hours or whatever, you know, uh, getting your Star Trek 
alien facial applications put on. <laughs> or whatever. You know, there's plenty of horror stories in Star Trek about how long you have to spend in, in makeup. Yeah. Um, but those people don't have to... You, they, they shouldn't... I understand why the rule would be that those people aren't getting paid double time. They got paid a set amount for the work. Yeah. You know? And, hell, there's a bunch of unions and guilds that have signed off on all of that, so... But uh, there are also plenty of people in the video games industry that are not salary. They're not contract in that sense. They're hourly. I mean, when I was doing overtime, crunch time, double time, I was hourly. Hell, I was only making $9 an hour when I started in the industry. But I was working so much overtime that it was years before I made that much money again. Yeah. You know, 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week for like three or four months straight. Yeah. That, it, that ain't bad for up. right out of college. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to have too many opportunities like that at that age, <laughs> that part of your point of your career. Yeah, but that's also when I was young enough to be able to get away with that stuff. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, another thing that can happen with uh, crunch time, I mean, one of the reasons that you do all that stuff is to try to maintain schedules, right? Yeah. And... Sometimes you wind up having to make a decision about what to keep in, what to cut out. Uh, sometimes you have to make, and and that's that's one of the really big problems in the debate is when is this a reasonable overtime? Uh, you know, a little bit just to make make it past the finish line versus yeah. when it becomes consistent. Okay, if you're gonna really complain about it, you really need to have some, if not hard definition, but some awareness of when you cross that line. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you're going to have to cut stuff or allow stuff to be a little weird and, and, and janky, which is a concept that brings me to the next topic. The uh, It was announced that there is going to be a remake of one of the 16-bit RPG classics, <laughs> yeah. The Secret of Mana. And yeah. some people are excited about this because, as, as I was getting to, um, the original one has a bunch of weird stuff about it. Like, yeah, um, the weird broken. Some some people have described it as a broken magic system, and I understand what they're talking about because the the way the timing on the magic works, you can just stack it on itself, and the enemies can't react. Yeah, or uh, where if someone was on a different level and you shouldn't be able to hit them because it was two D, you could still kind of throw your weapon or crack the whip or whatever, and it would it would still hit them. Yet there was a bit of a weird 3D space management that had to go on there, and it wasn't yeah. really set up for it. So supposedly, you would think that these issues will wind up getting addressed in the remake. Although, yeah, you'd hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want. I wonder if the timing of this actually was in any way um, affected by the release of the SNES Classic. Although we'll get to that in a bit. Um, have you played Secret of Mana? No, no, but I. I uh, I certainly know that it's got its fans, uh, and it's hard to believe that it was 1993 that it came out, but that's, yeah. Now that I think of it, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, and it's it's on the Super Nintendo Classic Edition set? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is on the SNES Classic. Yeah. So that's that... kind of funny. What? Yeah, I I I don't want to get off topic there, but why why would they? Huh. <laughs> I don't know. That seems odd. I I think you're right. I don't think that is a coincidence. Um, 
I, it, it's kind of strange, though, that it – I mean, was that the motivation? Would they have never done it <laughs> otherwise? Oh, yeah. I mean, I doubt that that was the motivation, but it might have been a bit of a, 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 a timing incentive. Kick in the ass to get it done, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, uh, or like, okay, we got a whole bunch of buzz about this, and we got a bunch of buzz about Secret of Mana. Let's announce it now. Yeah. But uh, it, I find it really weird because it's not – Secret of Mana is one of those things where the art style – is a component to what makes it so endearing. Mm-hmm. And my tummy's grumbling. <laughs> uh, this this remake is, I mean, it's completely 3D. Like, it's it's none of the same sprite art assets. Yeah. Uh, I think they even have voice acting in it, which, that's risky. Um, if you look at the little video trailer, you see their, their little... Uh, dragon flamey, and you can see how n- honestly not too smooth his character model is. Or her, I don't know if flamey ever gets gendered in the in the game. <laughs> um, but you can, it, it's one of those things where it looks a little bit. Um, I mean the the um the textures for all the characters are better than this, but the polygon uh, arrangement for say the wings on the dragon looks a little bit PS one like because they have very rough bends while it's flapping. Yeah. Which makes me think this is something that should get released at like twenty bucks as a as a retro throwback, mm. not you know a uh, uh you know great forty dollar or sixty dollar like here's a full release thing. It's I don't know. So, some of that stuff just looks weird. It's they are gonna they are adding, choices. Apparently they're adding voice acting. I don't yeah. know. I mean I don't know that, that justifies the price increase, but. Ah, oh, here's the thing. Uh, in Japan, uh, versions of the game are priced at $44 with some collector's stuff. I think one of them comes with a soundtrack. Oh. okay. Okay, but but one of the funny things is, the one thing that I really, really want from Secret of Mana is a large poster of the title screen where the, the three main characters are looking up at the mana tree, this just enormous tree. Mm. I, I want to see the entire tree... And I want the characters to be really small. I don't want any uh, uh, title. I don't want any legal information on it. I just, I just want this enormous, lush, verdant tree with the little characters there looking up at it for scale. <laughs> That's what I want. And I mean, they kind of have it in in places, but it doesn't go up to the top of the tree. And they're they're not the the posters aren't exactly the biggest. I mean, I had it on the SNES back in the day. And I have the post. I still have the poster that came with it. In fact, I not really. How to frame that? But uh, it's it's just not that big, you know. Yeah. Huh. I I want something to help communicate the the size of this damn tree. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, I mean, or another way to think about how it looks. It looks a little bit like oh god. It looks a little bit like something you'd see on a phone. So I really. I want to say I hope, but that's not exactly accurate because there's plenty of cool stuff you can do with it. So that's an unfair condemnation of the engine. But uh, uh, um, I wonder if they made this in Unity. <laughs> the re- the remake? Huh? Huh? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this will also reignite some interest in the Mana franchise because, you know... I, I, you I would have... hope. Well, I've, played a, I, I've tried to play Seiken Detsetsu 3 because this was the second one. Secret of Mana? Yeah. I, I tried to play Seiken Detsetsu 3, and it didn't uh, really grip me. 
I think it was in college at the time, so I was also probably pretty distracted <laughs> with with you know playing through kung fu two hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not even sure the version I was playing was translated. Uh, I also tried playing Legend of Mana on uh, the PlayStation, and that one I purchased. So I went through the whole thing, and when I was done, I was like, "What the hell was the point of that?" <laughs> uh, one of the, Secret of Man is one of those kind of just special ones where everything just kind of fit together and it was whimsical and charming and the music is really good and the, the mechanics are engaging and I, I I think it was more of a for the Mana franchise it feels more like that was a a uh, from my exposure to different entries in it I can't ex- I, I I can't claim to be particularly well versed in in all of the entries by any means I've already detailed my entire experience with the franchise but it feels that secret of mana is a bit more of a an exception rather than the rule for how the mana franchise goes yeah it, well it would, would of, it would it have been the fan favorite for the series too yeah i'd say so mm-hmm. i mean it's the one that people remember yeah so uh, i mean no one talks about legend of man legend of mana is remembered less than chrono cross <laughs> I mean, there's people out there who will defend Chrono Cross. That, I mean, they'll look up places to defend Chrono Cross. But, I, <laughs> you know, you, you look at people defending Legend of Mana, they're like, yeah, I think it's better than people think it is. <laughs> there's no like, no, this is way better, and here's why. It's like, yeah, it's better than its reputation. Mm. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of business this does. It looks like it's selling some collector's edition type stuff, which, again, I mean... Are you gonna are you gonna shell out for some plastic tat and not actually <laughs> not actually pay for the the DLC that developers are working on? Yeah. Uh unless you're gonna complain about on disc DLC, in which case we're gonna have to get into a whole other side topic, which I don't really want to get into right now. <laughs> God forbid. I don't know. I'll I'll just break it down. It's like you can also look at it as a la carte pricing. <laughs> on disc DLC is so bad why don't you just charge the whole thing well maybe some people don't want it and you can sell it less for that and make the business work ah, anyhow uh, so Secret of Mana coming out Secret of Mana is also on the SNES Classic SNES Classic is coming out for orders <laughs> yeah and people are complaining again about how hard it is to get their hands on one yeah. and I don't know I'm kind of sitting here thinking why are you so fixated on it yeah I, I had kind of the same reaction to the NES Classic, but uh, I still I, I am of the impression that the uh, numbers of items being sold are not like the, these items aren't intended to be end market items. I mean, you can hear on a whole bunch of other podcasts and articles and and everything people complaining. It's like they could make so much money if they just sell these, make keep making them and selling them. And I think they don't because I don't think that's the point. Yeah. I mean, everyone complains about Nintendo doing weird stuff, but there's a certain point where you have to realize that normal business logic isn't how Nintendo operates, for better or worse, Mm. you know? I mean, the Wii U clearly did not work right. And anyone, you know, the, the tablet, you know, didn't work the way they wanted to, didn't uh, intrigue people the way they wanted to. I think there's stuff that you could do with that as a concept that wasn't fully explored, which, you know, that's definitely on Nintendo there for not 
putting out stuff to demonstrate what the tech could be. Yeah. And the naming thing was a serious blunder. Yeah. Um, but that said, there's also their their approaches. Just because you're looking at it, just because you think this is good or this is bad or something, maybe they're getting what they want. Maybe what they want isn't to sell these items. Maybe what they want is to raise the profile of their classic library. You know, it's, it's, I am of the impression, and I have no particular insight on this other than trying to think about how this makes sense in the context of everything else Nintendo's doing. I'm still of the opinion that these, the NES Classic and the SNES Classic are appetizers. Um, yeah, I can, I can see that as a possibility. My only, my only, uh, thought is, um, if they are meant to be appetizers, then what's the, what is the long-term game for being able to capitalize on that? How, how are they going to, once having gr- drawn this interest, how is it that they're actually going to be able to, to make good on it? Because I, they, they've, they've had such a, their, their, uh, store, their online stores to date have been such unsatisfying messes that unless they're going to raise their game and actually have a proper way to, to to allow people to you know buy this stuff that they've gotten them interested in this is all for nothing so i'm right. i'm curious to see what if if that is true and it, it very well might be then how you know what's the delivery system that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna allow it to them to actually cash in um i guess we'll find out in the fall at some point yeah i mean the impression that i've gotten and to be honest, I, I have not had a, a, the um, foresight to look into this in any great depth before this conversation mm. uh, to verify it. But the impression I've gotten is that, yeah, they are actually going to redouble their efforts on classic game availability for digital distribution on the Switch. Yeah, Re- which... redouble. They, they're they're going to have to re-triple at this point, considering <laughs> how, how much of a shit show it was for the previous consoles. But anyway, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to defend that. I mean, hell, when the when the Wii came out and they were talking about the um, uh, classic games available on there, I was thinking, oh great, I can get all this stuff on there. And it turns out it's like there's a whole it's, it's this drip feed of stuff, and it's like yeah. that's not what I wanted. But even if it was just say limited to the games on the NES Classic and SNES Classic that are now available, well, they're going to make more money uh, using these. Uh, classic editions to drive up interest in these games, mm. and that'll turn these games into system sellers for the Switch. Yeah, that's leveraging your classic library, provided they can actually execute. And it's yeah. also possible that that's their plan, and their online distribution model is still so unappealing that uh, it, it it won't work. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say that, that it's like, oh, we already have it here. We just need to let people know we have it here, and the reason people. When in fact the reason people aren't getting it there is because it's a bad experience and your uh, availability is too limited. There, there, <laughs> there, 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 there is that point where getting the official version is such a pain that people are like, you know, I'd be willing to pay, but this is so difficult that I'd rather yeah. just pirate it. How about I pirate it and then just send you fifteen bucks? <laughs> yeah. But well, uh, I, I that, have to the, believe there's a lot of people that are sitting on that line of wondering whether it's worth it or not, or not that are yeah. maybe waiting to see like we are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's the um, there's also the fact that this my interpretation does seem to fit into what Nintendo has stated their 
business goal is uh, to use their intellectual property yeah. in new ways, and that's why there's you know up at Universal Studios and a Universal Studios Nintendo area in Japan and and whatnot. It's, it, that's under construction, um, and a bit more chatter about are we going to have a Nintendo uh, IP based theatrical release? You know, yeah, some of that stuff or. Um, I believe the the people who did the Castlevania Netflix series, I've heard that they were going to do Metroid. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's been confirmed all the way through Nintendo or not. Um, but that would be interesting. If, if Man, if they do Metroid, I hope there is so little dialogue. <laughs> no, because Metroid is supposed to be all moody and, and, and isolated. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense if it turns into a, you know... Film other, noir other narration, <laughs> or yeah, exactly, yeah. Or you could just say other M. Yeah, uh, I mean the 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 most. I actually think Metroid Fusion suffered because of how much narrative there was in that back <laughs> in the day. Uh, but uh, anyhow, my point being that if you have the NES Classic and SNES Classic out there to drive interest in the new console, that's the exact same approach that they're using with other stuff is we're going to use our IP out there in theme parks, free-to-play games, and so forth, and try to use that to interest people in the intellectual properties to draw them in to the console experience, which we're going to use as, like, the home base. This is where we're yeah. going to put our best stuff. Not that they're, they're like, sending, you know garbage out in the other place, but all of the special efforts and your major releases are going to be on your home base of the console platform. So that's how I see like, okay, if you connect these dots, this makes sense. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they're correct. It doesn't mean that it'll work according to that plan. But it makes sense. So that's, you know, I, I when, when people react with this weird indignation about why would Nintendo ever do that? It's like, they've been saying they're going to do something like that, I think. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong, but I mean... All, all the dots are there to draw the line. So, or maybe I, I, I'm overestimating how clever they are. But considering considering they have had a lot of success, I would imagine that they're more clever business wise than I am. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Hey, hey. Here, here, here's one of the things that'll be really, really interesting to see. If there's an N64 classic that gets released. Yeah. Uh, Will they have one of the uh, AKI wrestling games on it? And if they do, uh, which one will it be? And will they have to edit anything? <laughs> because I don't think they're going to release WWF WrestleMania 2000 or, or No Mercy while keeping the F. Uh, no. Yeah, no, that's a good point. There's a there's a few things that would definitely be no-goes. Yeah. Or, or would they do something wacky like release uh, All-Star Pro Wrestling 2, which was another game in the series, but it was the Japanese version for All Japan Pro Wrestling. So I, I, I bet they'd have an easier time working through the uh, copyright <laughs> tangles for that. Yeah. <laughs> or hell, if they release one of the WWEF games, are they going to have to remove Chris Benoit? Because he's been thoroughly unpersoned. Yeah. There's a bunch or, of Star Wars games that uh, huh, would they let them release those? Probably not. Hmm. Yeah. More Super than Star few. Wars games. The Super Star Wars games weren't in the uh, SNES Classic, and yeah. that's uh, uh, that's bordering on where you'd probably want to include it because a lot of people remember that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, you know 
if nothing else, at least Shadows of the Empire, I think, would be a yeah. you know a favorite for a lot of people in '64. So, hmm. or uh, Rogue Squadron. Uh, yes, actually, that's probably an even better, <laughs> better example. Ah, <laughs> uh, speaking of QA, that was a uh, quick aside. Uh, Rogue Squadron on the GameCube had that great uh, director's commentary feature where you could play through the game and and after you beat the uh, after you beat the stage or after you beat the game, you could unlock the director's commentaries and the alternative soundtrack. Yeah. And they would just be talking while you're playing. Actually, I think more games should do that because it was really interesting. Huh. Uh, I remember one of them, uh, one of the stages, they were talking about how in the original N64 game, uh, they they listened way too much to QA when it came to tuning the difficulty. <laughs> <sighs> because QA kept saying, make it harder, make it harder, this is too easy, make it harder, and they kept doing it, and when it was released, it was way too hard. <laughs> don't don't listen don't listen to the people who do nothing but play this game for ten hours a day to tune the difficulty. <laughs> yeah, maybe they shouldn't be your baseline. <laughs> no. They shouldn't. Uh but uh okay, so Let's move on to one other, one last sort of funny uh, gaming-adjacent story, I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a developer, there's a game developer named John Jones, whose Twitter handle is at John Jones. He shares the name with MMA fighter John Jones, whose mm. Twitter handle is at Johnny Bones, because his nickname is Johnny Bones Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and John Jones is, uh, I think, still ostensibly the UFC light heavyweight champion and one of the best fighters of all time. Yeah. And I say I think still because after he just recaptured the title, after he got stripped due to a uh, drug violation, uh, he has apparently had another drug violation. Um. I think we're still waiting for the B sample on that one, but yeah, uh, he popped for steroids again. Yeah. <laughs> and so a whole bunch of people get pissed off and they Twitter at John Jones and a whole bunch of people are just <laughs> railing on this developer. And it's funny if you, you can, you can read up on some of his, his, uh, choice reactions to things. <laughs> yeah. I thought and, we were, wait, we were exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've read a few of them. It's pretty pretty good. Yeah. Uh the the great thing is is he's had a good sense of humor about it because uh you know, he he posted his uh his Twitter analytics into like 31 million views or 3.1 million views in the last 24 hours because this other guy failed a drug test. <laughs> and he's he, he like replied to a bunch of stuff about um uh do I have any good examples handy here? Um, well, one of them was, uh, you know, John Jones has been making noise about trying to fight Brock Lesnar and, you know, people were, you know, saying, why don't we bringing this up? And he says, stop volunteering me to fight terrifying men. Brock Lesnar is what happened when scientists taught a rhinoceros how to fuck a tank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he starts going into his, uh, direct, I don't have any good examples handy, um, (laughs) But you can you can look. There, there's a bunch of them, and it's. It, I don't want to just read a bunch of them off anyway. But there's a bunch of good ones. He goes into uh, uh, direct messages and starts replying to people who DM'd him. 
<laughs> and he's being good natured about it. I think he's just having a blast with all this because he even said, like, I don't even follow MMA, so I'm always blown away when this happens because it happened before <laughs> because John Jones failed a drug test before. Um, but one of, one of the direct messages was someone just railing into him about how he was a, a, a disgrace or, or something. And it's like, Dad, is that you? <laughs> yeah. And, and the guy says, oh, shut up. And he just rails into him some more. It's like, oh, oh, hi, mom. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, really, once I'm, again, sorry. Him? Sorry, I'm, I'm really not familiar with this guy. He, he, he's obviously got a sense of humor. Um, do you, are you familiar with any of the games that he's involved uh, with? Or? I, I don't know. I honestly, I'm not sure what he's worked on or what teams he's been on. Hmm. He's uh, apparently, <laughs> there's a picture of him at uh, um, some, uh, is speaking it, in front of a big, PowerPoint presentation, so I presume there's a bunch of people in front of him out of frame. Yeah, I mean he's he's got a blue tick. I mean I know that <laughs> I know that isn't everything, but I I, I assume he must be a f- reasonably notable developer. But I I've per- personally never heard of him. But yeah, no, it's it's uh, uh, he apparently released a book titled How I Escaped Evangelical Hell, which <laughs> does not sound like a game book. Nope. But yeah, I'm. Uh, there's an there's a there's an excerpt for you, Polygon. Try <laughs> how about that one? <laughs> yeah. The uh it's just a funny thing and it and it, it again goes back to like here's this guy who's not actually in the public eye, but he's doing a way better job managing his public persona than actual public people. <laughs> public personalities. Yeah. It 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 keeps coming back to that topic. It's a bit like analytics. It just kinda keeps coming back to it. Man, manage yourself as a product, dummies. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure when, when you're trying to manage yourself and as a, as a public product, it, it gets exhausting and, and you, you let your guard down and do some stuff that's ill-advised. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's part of it, but there are other things like the whole John Tron thing. It's like, well, you, 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 um, you chose to do that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is the stuff that I wanted to go over. Was there anything of particular interest to you that you would like to discuss today, oh, Jeff? No, that about covers the week, to be honest. I, <laughs> I think we've beaten it to death. Yep. Uh, well, hopefully not to death. We wanted to keep generating <laughs> stuff for us to talk about later. And, uh, I'll, uh, now, now uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, things will slow down enough for me that I can get back to, to scheduling an interesting guest for us. Mm, yeah. Uh, next time. You know, it's, it's good to just kind of go over a few, uh, uh, news articles several at a time rather than trying to, to get a guest from. Cause honestly, the, the, uh, you know, especially since, 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 uh, you've come on, Jeff, the, it has, has helped me out a bit to be able to talk about stuff. It, it's the, now the, Hardest part about setting up these shows is <laughs> picking and reaching out to a guest and scheduling things with them. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, but uh, okay. And considering the bulk of this uh, episode has been about crunch and overtime for the war stories segment here, I'll tell a, a little bit about what I went through. Um, I mean, I already kind of brushed up on this, like my first job in the games industry, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, um, for months on end. It was, it was, it was literally like three and a half, four months. 
so we were regularly regularly hitting double time. Uh, and there was even a joke. How do you know when it's the weekend? It's easier to find parking. <laughs> Which is a good thing to remember because the uh, cafeteria was also not open on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you forgot your lunch, uh, you're in trouble. Although I think I uh, was... One of the other nice things about that was because just coming out of college, you know, I'm not taking, you know, great care of my diet at the time. You know, I'm young. <laughs> my my uh, my whole system's still kind of a nuclear furnace of uh, metabolism, and I could eat whatever. So we we had dinners provided for us. I think it was we had like a was it a twelve dollar budget or something? It, it wasn't a whole lot. Uh, but you know, you get a couple of appetizers and you get a pretty good meal out of it or something. And, uh, it was possible. I don't remember if lunch was provided on the weekends as well. Um, but yeah, literally a lot of the test leads and assistant leads did not go home. (laughs) They had sleeping bags under their desks. You could show up in the morning and they would, uh, you'd see their feet sticking out under their desks. Ouch. It was... And this was this was also a point in time. This was before flat screen monitors. Everybody had CRT TVs and CRT uh, computer monitors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this stuff took up a lot of desk room. And and I'd come in in the mornings, and a whole bunch of this drives me nuts because I can hear CRTs just being on. Yeah. And I'd come in and I'd just walk around the group and be like, "Turn off your CRT. Turn off yours. Turn off yours." Ah, it's quiet now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was rough. Fortunately, I also wasn't driving myself at the time. <laughs> uh, I was able to catch a ride with someone else. At first, even I was trying to bike to and from, but it was a it was a long way between home and and work. And you know, if you're leaving work at two a.m., the last thing you want to do is bike for forty five minutes. Yeah, two yeah. a.m. <laughs> I'm not joking there. Damn. In in fact, in fact, um, I went through like a training thing. My first day out of training, uh, I think was a was that a fourteen hour day? <laughs> and and to give you an idea of the kind of mentality, people were turning around and calling me lucky, you know. Wow. And this was uh, that's a baptism of fire. Yeah, and in turn, that's kind of why I'm glad I went through it because you know it it, it is getting forged in some pretty hot fire there, mm-hmm. and it and it also teaches you. The difference between working smart and working hard, hard, mm-hmm. hard, working hard, <laughs> right, working hard, um, because, you know, back then I was, I mean, that was before mobile was even a thing. I was working in console and back then, you know, you have a really big team. What are you going to measure people on? Well, how many bugs they write? Okay. Yeah. So I want to write a whole bunch of bugs. Okay. I'm going to write a whole bunch of really dumb bugs. They're valid, but they're dumb. You know, stuff like, you know, the 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 theme song isn't credited to the composer. I, I literally wrote that bug. <laughs> of course, it was it was kind of a moot point because none of the legal information was in there yet. Uh. So, you know, that's that's working hard, not smart. Ugh. <laughs> Don't don't think I fell asleep at my desk much then either. <laughs> I and I never even drank coffee. <laughs> oh, you weren't into coffee at that point. I'm not into coffee now. Oh, okay. uh, like if I'm seriously dragging, I'll get some caffeine. And uh, circling back, I drink 
a lot of energy drinks to get through that drive to the Eclipse and back. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, it got to the point where, you know, I don't usually get wired, but it got to the point where, like, my hand, which is never really steady in the first place, was, like, trembling like I, I, I had the uh, the DTs, or I had, you know... <laughs> You watch uh, watch Drunken Master and what Jackie Chan's hands were doing when he didn't have the, the or no no the first Drunken Master and and the the guy who taught him the drunken boxing style when he didn't have the booze what his hands were doing that's the Delirium's Tremens ETs that's what my hands were doing but that was that was because of being too hopped up not because of withdrawal ah <laughs> uh, all right so not much of a story but uh, lots of perspective yeah that's a perspective. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's it for us for this week. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Jeff. No problem. I'll try to get something, uh, a bit more meaty next week. Mm. There was an interesting stuff to talk about here, but, uh, a guest, you can start getting into some more, some more stuff to chew on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and thanks everyone for joining us on our return episode of Behind the Line Radio. If there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about here, on Behind Line Radio, or see me talk about in uh, uh, a more detailed dive into my own uh, perspectives on it in the article form and Behind the Line article, you can always email me at kinetic at com. And Jeff, I will never get into the, yeah, you can email me shtick that uh, 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 Black Dragon and, and Judge Greg do on the Hero Talk Bites. <laughs> it gets a little cringy. Um, but you can, yeah, you can email me there. Or you can follow me at Kinetic Nose, that's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K-K-N-O-W-S on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, see y'all next time. Thanks. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.